Wait, did he have a beard? He did have a beard. So the beard's new. The beard's new and Sal was there. So there were two beards. <sighs> Sal and Kitty. <laughs> Madman, a term coined in the late 1950s to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. I just fire everyone. Welcome to They Coined It. <laughs> and we're in. We're right here. In. Oh my goodness. So I love when everyone's gathered around after the news of the flight, after the, the plane crash, and they start with the jokes. I was like, where are you going with this? Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because you just I, dove, you dove in, Dan. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, what do we, fine. okay, you, we, you know, dive, be divey. I don't know. There's this thing about, and I I thought this was like bigger like in the 80s where like really uh, jokes in poor taste would kind of make the rounds. Obviously, all before internet, you know, like there were really bad jokes, believe it or not, when the Challenger crashed, which was like 85, 86, I suppose. Bad jokes when that plane uh, flew into that bridge in Washington, D.C. Yes. Right. That was a thing that went around. So there's like this history of it. But I kind of thought it was a little later. And I was interested to see and I'm sure there was at least a little bit of. You know, uh, just how accurate is that from, you know, the the early 60s to to the idea of these really sick jokes? Yeah. So I don't I definitely don't know the history. I don't know the answer. And I don't know if Matt was basing it on history when writing this or basing it on human nature. Which certainly, well, certainly human nature, that scans, yeah. right? But like, I think you'd, but but I think you'd see that kind of humor. In other words, it, it's not, it's not set at a school where school teachers are saying bad jokes. It's advertising, or it's Wall Street. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of these sharks in the water type industries that are known for that edginess. That's what's portrayed, and you know the jokes. I mean, they're edgy for 1962, so. They wouldn't be considered edgy today. None of them. No, the, the the fact that they were in poor taste is right. the that, is the edge precisely, and, and that makes it that's a lot edgier than than now, right? Yeah, but but I'm saying if somebody was trying to be edgy now and said, you know, whatever it was, um, Long Island to Jamaica Bay in in 11 minutes, right? Like that. That's that's not a good joke. No one would laugh. No one would even groan at that joke. They would just be like, "Why are you saying this?" Well, that's because. It's not new anymore. The bar's higher. The bar's higher because everything has been said and everything has, we have exactly. now lived through, you know, I, it's funny. I, I brought this up last week, the idea of um, nostalgia, which thematically, of course, ties to the end of the last season, right? Uh-huh, but uh-huh. the idea of nostalgia, let's twist again, like we did last summer, that's that's a novel idea nostalgia itself became hip i think in the 80s that's when we all started getting our little campbell's soup mugs just like when we were just you know which brings us back to our childhoods although although there there, i think no i think i think there's a cyclical nature that goes much farther back right because i think that um 
you know, in the 60s, you can find there was nostalgia for the 20s, believe it or not. Was there? Was there kitsch, though? Well, there wasn't media in the same way. So, like, so, so, so you get you get the proliferation much faster and wider spread. But in the 70s, there was nostalgia for the 50s because you had happy um, days. It started. They really started days. with uh, American Graffiti. American Graffiti, right. precisely. Right. And the, uh, the the original rock and roll came back because those um, that was the coming of age, you know, for children of the fifties was now they're you know whatever th- mid thirties or whatever, and there was a nostalgia Greece nostalgia right, right. for the fifties styles then and and then it hit again in the sixties and the eighties and so yeah so I think that I think that's a cyclical thing that you're always going to see to some degree but with media where you can put a TV show on and you know 30 million people a week watch uh you know poodle skirts and happy days and whatever 1962 was the budding of the irony culture and 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 um you know we saw a little Lenny Bruce in season 1 right yeah. and there's a little of that so I don't think it's it's a little far afield, but I don't think too far afield for us. No, I think we're okay. On this wide-ranging podcast. Flight One, written by <laughs> Lisa Albert and Matthew Weiner. Yay, we made it. <laughs> directed by Andrew Bernstein. <laughs> original air date, August 3rd, 2008. And as the credit line at the end, in memory of Christopher Alport. And it takes place approximately February 24th to March 4th, 1962. Christopher Alport is uh he played uh Pete Campbell's father in the one scene we get with Pete and his father that for all the TV you've ever watched in your life you could not pack more into a father-son relationship uh in like less than 7 minutes of dialogue between these two so um go back and watch i think it's new amsterdam the yeah. fourth episode of season one that we get to meet christopher allport and his terrific work in in his single scene uh with pete on Mad Men. but anyway he died as it turns out in the interim between the hiatus between season one and season two uh back in 2007 2008 and um never we never got to see him again he died in an accident and uh, they 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 worked that into the season two script by having him be a passenger on flight one that yeah. that, that crashed in New York. So, uh, pretty amazing stuff. Let Let's do that party. <laughs> yeah. You know, the one here's what I the first thing I want to say about the existence of that party, um, and you start to see it in the last episode. And it is something that we all discussed when we talked about the wrap up of season one and and what was to come is that Mad Men starts to get more sprawling as it comes out of that jewel egg first perfect season. So something that you would see in season one is you would start an episode, but you never know where you ended up. Now you don't even know where you're going to (laughs) start. And and really, you're already you're, you're meeting families. I've I've talked uh, and written ad nauseum about my love for Marriage of Figaro, and one of the reasons, one of the things that that drew me into that was was my shock that we were going to spend so much time in the Draper home because I was mm. itching to get back to the city because that's where I thought the show took place yeah. in that office and in the bars and restaurants around that office, and maybe and maybe a minute or two, you know, in Austin, but then back in the city. So even that was uncomfortable in the third episode. Well, now 
You want to get really uncomfortable. We're you gonna, go to New Jersey. But now we're going to start to we're going to go to New Jersey. We're going to start to meet. You know, I mean, later on we're going to go to Brooklyn, right? Nowadays we know if you live in New Jersey, do not. Under any circumstances, invite all your New York City no. coworkers. They would never come anywhere. To your place in New Jersey. I mean, really, unless unless you're 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 Eddie Murphy and you live at Bubble Hill, you know, and it's, it's some happen. kind of wild pad. Um, yeah, just cool it and just do your thing in Jersey and don't invite people. They don't want to no, come. They're not going to come when they come. They're only going to complain about how hard it was to get there and yeah. how far away it is. Well, which they, the city which was represented, I think. Yeah, totally. It was a disaster. Just a bit about Montclair. I currently live in Jersey City, which is very commutable from Manhattan, and it still takes something to get people here, even when there's no COVID. But but before I lived in Jersey City, I lived right next to Montclair. I've spent a lot of time in Montclair. I was living right I was living right next to it when the show aired, and I was delighted for the reference. And they do capture it. And all those references, the Wellmont Theater, that is an right. You've you've probably seen shows there, Dan. Right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever been there? Well, I'm I'm, I'm in Essex County twenty yeah. years now. So yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's all right, but it it, it shows how pretentious. The character is. Oh, Paul, definitely. Thinking Which, that who wouldn't want to live here, you know? Really, go fuck yourself. I mean, what? what but also, kind of, I but mean, also knowing it was annoying for people. Knowing. I don't think he thought that. He thought he was going to be like a like a real like a like a Pied Piper or something. The party itself, again, you you know me now. You know I love a good TV party. Mm-hmm. Um, Although I wasn't as drawn into it, but my God, the women's costumes, oh, Peggy's dress and and Trudy's dress under Trudy's coat. And it was just so fabulous. Paul and his pipe and everybody's face and everybody's shit faced and there's marijuana. If you want to show that a character has taken a huge pretentious turn, you just give a male character a scarf. Yes. Right? Or an ascot. Either one. (laughs) But in this case, the scarf did... Did, did the work of two or three ascots, I think. Wait, I, I didn't even... Did he have a beard? He did have a beard. So the beard's new. The beard's new and Sal was there, so there were two beards. <sighs> Sal and Kitty. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was funny, Dan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could tell I, I was chambering that. I, I was, was waiting yeah. To I didn't see it coming, and I, I don't know why. No, it was... um. So you meet, so you've got this wonderful, you know, this vibe, you've got so much going on. You've got, you know, you've got Pete and Trudy entering with their racism. Uh-huh. Trudy, enter Trudy Campbell. I have no problem with Negroes. I'm just worried about the car. Oh, there you go. This is how the opening and how the show opens. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah. So everyone's in New Jersey and um, we learn a lot at the party, right? We learn that. Paul stole a typewriter from the office, which and seems then to have a whole party. Yeah, and then keeps it there for the party. And it seems to be a big incident, you know, at the at the office. Everyone has a take on what all happened. But it's not like stealing a pen. I mean That was a heavy piece of machinery back then though. That's right. You know But also you don't st- like now they'll give you a time. They're like, we don't yeah. need these, you know. <laughs> right. Do you want a keyboard, maybe? <laughs> right. Um <laughs> No, that was a big deal. Yeah, that was, that a, was big a deal. He really you stole. You need, you know, and it's true. He would need one at home, but most people buy them or whatever. Well, he would you know, need one at home for his same. personal use. That's so right. that's why you buy them for yourself. You no, know, it was a total. I mean, but I think that lends and, the and, whole and, and, and there was a lack lie, of the, integrity thing to to 
to Paul's character. Oh, no, absolutely. And then right. some girl almost got fired over it, but didn't. Yeah, but, exactly. But he's like, but she didn't. And it's like, but she, what would you have done if she had? <laughs> right. What do you mean? What do you mean? Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> incidental at that point. So, yeah. So Paul with the beard is getting shit about that and uh, showing off the new girlfriend. Which this is really interesting. So he introduces her to Joan, which he's – now, there's no real evidence for this if you watch, but you do kind of project onto the character that he's, like, itching to introduce – It really is – here's the here's – His the, black girlfriend to Joan. Yeah, and we, we'll walk through this, but there's a, there's a conflict for me as a viewer because everything Joan says is terrible and racist by assuming – that Paul is you is using the black girlfriendness of the black girlfriend to be cool, except that she's fucking right. So like you, you they're both terrible. And by the way, Sheila White, played by Danielle Danielle Artiz, who is wonderful and has had a fascinating career, and we will definitely put in show notes. We have a wonderful uh, two part interview with her conducted by one of our writers who went by Hullabaloo on on our blog, and we'll we'll post. She's a choreographer. She worked with everybody. She's incredible. Yeah, and she's cute as hell on this on this in that scene in particular. Ah, oh, so charming. This was. Basically, Joan calling out Paul for what we today would call virtue signaling. That's Absolutely. what she. That's what she was accusing him. Of. There was no word for it then, but it's exactly the same thing. It's precisely the same thing. She doesn't question whether. Well, she does kind of question whether they she really does. like each other. You know? She really does. She really says, "You went out and found yourself a black girlfriend to be cool." Yeah. Exactly. And for all we know, she's a thousand percent correct because Joan That's knows because Joan knows people. Exactly. Now, was she? And she's terrible. For, it's, it's like I said, everybody's terrible. Well, I thought, yeah, I mean, I always looked at this as her being horribly racist in what she was saying to Paul. I'm not as certain of that, because if you buy into her theory, then she's not being racist. Now, she wasn't polite, really, to uh, Sheila. That's the thing that really that starts you down a different path mm. because she was when she says i wouldn't have pegged paul to be enlightened or something like that he she said some other word open-minded open open-minded open <laughs> i wouldn't have pegged him to be open-minded which is really a horrible thing to say to it's the girlfriend. a horrible thing to say. It's a, right, and it's boy. a racist fucking thing to say like it's there's just no really bad it's it really, really bad. is it's just terrible. so that's <laughs> That's a different path and than what she tells Sheila White Paul. didn't miss it. No, she's completely reacts to being sold something racist. Yeah. So there's all that going on in right. like, you know, whatever, 45 <laughs> seconds of dialogue. It's really amazing. And then obviously later in the episode, Joan lets Paul have it right. on that. And then basically. Paul gets back. It's that whole. Yeah. Again, if you just look at Joan's premise and if you accept her premise, which is a reasonable premise – Yes. Then outside of her treatment of Sheila, as harsh as it was to Paul and to his face, is kind of reasonable at that point. It's kind of not – maybe not reasonable in that you or I would say it in the way that she did. But it is in line and consistent with the character and what she is calling Paul out on and is probably accurate in calling him out. It's just – it's a fascinating uh, character play. It is. It is. I, and you're you're being much more patient with it than my everyone is terrible 
<laughs> well, summary. that's how I always looked at it. I, I, yeah. Even when the scene came up, when I went at the party, when he introduces it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. She's going to do the lettuce is a nickel line, you know, later in the episode. It's going to be terrible. But when it happened and it played out, I go, oh, she she knows him like the back of her hand. And you're and right. Has, it is because she knows people. Right in, in, in a certain way of looking at it, has every right to call him out as an ex-girlfriend, number one, as a co-worker, number two. And as a as a, as someone, people who have been intimate and close with one another, you can call someone out and be like, "You're being fucking, you're you're not being genuine in this." Period. No one else will tell you. I'll tell you. It's not just it's not just that. I'm seeing the other piece of it, which is what was her objection? Why did she end it with him? You have a big mouth. So what does that mean? That means. He bragged about being with Joan. So there's the dating Joan for the sake of dating Joan. And then there's the dating Joan for the bragging rights. So Joan is acutely aware that the, of, of what Paul does in and with relationships is for his own reputation. Is it's for, all is, performative. It's all performative. Yeah. So that's actually the connection. That's and right. she was terrible to Sheila terrible and then the, but then there's the one interesting part which was not her being terrible but it was just so wrong i just off where she says you know she's she uh sheila says she works at the supermarket and she says well someday you'll be shopping in that supermarket because that's what she she still says to somebody who lives in new jersey oh someday yeah. you'll be in new jersey <laughs> because she assumes that everybody is starting in the same place and wants to end up in the same well, place. Well, that the aspiration is to be the consumerish wife, consumerish family, yada yada, and she's kind of like, "I grew up here. I'm, this is where I go." You know? Yeah. No, it was very, it was very funny. That and that was again, that was not Joan being terrible. That was just Joan being obtuse. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> you know, on the one hand, she really, really knows people, and then on the other hand, she can be so right. insensitive and 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 presumptive, right? Probably appropriate to say Joan knows men better than she knows women. Valid. On the whole. On the Valid. Whole, right? She assumes all women – here's something. Ready? She assume, I was going to say she assumes all women are like her, but I'm going to go one further and say she assumes all women are like she assumes she is. She's playing the role that she believes she's supposed to play. But here she is, and we now know she's, what, 32? I've often said she's a surrogate for the men in the show. And so, like men, she assumes women are more or less of one type and sees off a much greater uh, variations and shades of gray when it comes to males. And as a result, understands men better than she understands women. Or men are a lot easier to read. Oh! That, that too. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, not mutually exclusive. All right. So, okay. So, that's the party. It's great fun. Oh, now, wait. what we see. No, no. Um, Peggy at the party. That's what I was going to say. Thank you. Sorry, we can't what, leave this. What we see here is a little more of Peggy uh, at the party, but we see a lot of Peggy in this episode, which yes. is wonderful. Wonderful. L wonderful. In this season two so far, two episodes in, we see, uh, for those who think young, we see this newly kind of confident Peggy giving, sticking it to Lois where, where needed. And really doing it, like we said, uh, you know, with, with a great deal of confidence. And now Flight One, she's flirting and she's making out with a boy and she's out late at a party and she's sleeping in the next day with that great 
bird's eye shot of, oh, of it's her incredible room. shot with the dress. To see her be so flirted with and flirty in front of her coworkers, to to allow herself to to be young. Who still that. don't know the story. She went away and came back. That, no, but, that's, you know, that's right. And we don't, and, we don't and we know don't. what happened, nor do they. Right. We get a little more indication in this episode. We start to get, you know, we start to get a few answers. But again, one, one, of, the, one of the mysteries of season two is, wait, what happened with, with yeah. the baby? And, and, and we, don't, we're not, we don't know yet. Just seeing her being so kind of young and, and flirty and loose, and, but still very much in control. Mm-hmm. Um, she cuts him to the quick. <laughs> I mean, you know, what is it, Eugene? I, uh, I've seen. I'm in the persuasion business and I find your pitch unconvincing or something like that. That's it. Thank you very much. So it's like wonderful to see her like that. And then underneath that, it's like, oh, she can't just have sex. She, right. who, you know, like that's a, that's a dark realization. Like, listen, that's something all, all women deal with anytime they have sex from for assuming she's still she, on the pill she but could she, what maybe is she just thought, ask. But, but right what is she like she she was she thought she was on the pill the first like who knows like her edge well right the we, point is she was on it all of a day at, at the moment but but she but, didn't but she didn't know she doesn't she, know right I, she got burned still, pretty bad she got burned and that is not a, that is not <laughs> casual sex is not in peggy olsen's near future put it that way i mean like my grandma used to say once pregnant twice shy that's, I mean. how it, that's how it goes. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, she she does turn him down a little bit, a, a little bit um, I, unnecessarily harshly. You could say, kind of like the the truck driver from from Brooklyn. Yeah, um, is a little bit a little, the dagger is still a little bit sharp. Um, yeah, well, again, but, I, I, it, we've I've touched on she's got a little bit of a cruel streak. Right, we touched on this in the last episode. Peggy's yeah. got a Why little bit have of to a, be a master streak? of persuasion to go to bed with her. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. right. He just was kind of a seemed like a decent looking guy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we do get a lot of Peggy. We see her now. We meet mom and sister Olson. Right. We see. Um, so again, another lo- another location. Catherine Olson, her mom. <sighs> right. The 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 family home, Bay Ridge. Catherine Olson. And Anita Olsen Raspola. Just love these names. I fell in love with Myra Turley, who plays Catherine Olsen, the mom, the minute I saw her. I mean, this woman She's fabulous. reminds me of every every family friend, every friend of my not so much my parents, but like the old world, like my grandparents yeah. were not friends. And that's her. And this kind of dowager of a woman yes 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 very oh excellent and i loved her sister i love um i'm gonna try to pronounce it audra wassel how did wassilevsky yeah that's exactly it wassilevsky you're right west wing fans will remember her as the uh the star trek fan but she's wonderful she and she's everybody's sister she's (laughs) she's everybody's older sister She's a great sister. In Brooklyn. And that, I just want that set that again, now we're seeing the different families. We're seeing these different sets where, where you know, that, uh, that apartment in Brooklyn must have been to everyone's delight who <laughs> participated <laughs> in it. And, you know, what I always, you know, my, I mean, my grandmother lived in, in my grandparents, actually both my grandmothers lived in, in Bensonhurst and, and, you know, just swap out the crucifixes for Chagall's and you've got my grandmother's <laughs> apartment. I mean, it's just, it's, it, these apartments just, uh, uh, 
the set to, the set on that is just the best the best you'll never get exposition like you will in Mad Men so you learn that we missed you in church and the sister is saying she makes excuses for you she says you're <laughs> taking mass in Wilkes-Barre PA or whatever it is and it's it's this whole setup that you're getting this feeling of a the guilt right we can all we can all identify with that and you know what's going on with with the family and the baby right the uh, Audrey, uh Anita has this sharp comment about you know the state of New York didn't think you could take care of yourself right you know this whole undercurrent under the surface of what's going on and Peggy's boiling under there yes so there's so much that we don't know. So, you know, your first question is, do the, does the family even know? So now well, they're that's playing a, with us as viewers, right? right? Exactly. How much they're so going to leave now out. We're, now we know, yes, the family, obviously the family knows. Was involved. And they they were what, involved and we don't, we don't know exactly. And right. we don't know. And then of course, is that baby that she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to say goodnight to the kids. Mm-hmm. And we see that there is a baby who would be approximately the age of, so we, whose baby is that? Yeah. Exactly. Motherfuckers, we don't know. (laughs) And the other nieces and nephews are in the room and they say, and Peggy. So everything's kind of twisted and turned around. But that's all we get. That's all we get. So they're they're playing with us a little bit. But I'll, you know, I'll just say we we see Myra Turley at different points throughout the series and uh, as as Peggy's mom. (laughs) There's not a single fucking scene that this woman doesn't show up. That she doesn't just steal the whole fucking thing. She doesn't have to say a word. She could just look. She could just look at Peggy, and that defines the entire scene. Dude, I was ready to go to church. I mean, (laughs) I was. She has me very scared. She's she's just. (laughs) She just has the uh, the heft and the gravitas. Yeah, the authority. The of a of an Irish widow that wants her daughter, whose daughter is not falling into line, and uh, the pressure is pretty great. Peggy comes over and there's all the like, you never come, you weren't hungry. Da, da, da. Like there's right. everything is wrong about Peggy coming over. And right. then what they've got, is she reading a book or I don't even know. I'm pointing she out something. Reading a book, they, yeah. they, you know, they go back to their reading. <laughs> Again, this is 2008. Not everyone was in their phones yet. No. But people going to people. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to guilt your kid over and then you're, you're in your, you're just hanging around reading. <laughs> she's, but I, but here, but here's the other thing. And I don't, you know, I'm probably looking into this, but too much glee, but you know, Peggy's got the vacuum cleaner that she has to bring from her apartment to the office <laughs> that she's going to see her mom later in the day. So she has to bring it to the office and then bring it, you know, schlep that thing on the subway back to Brooklyn and get it. So it's, so it's in cleaners. Brooklyn. It's in Brooklyn, wherever Peggy's apartment is. She brings it into Manhattan and then back to Brooklyn at night to get it to her mom. And she gets it there, and it's she clean out the back. You know, <laughs> <laughs> just it's just so it's just awesome. So you can just you can just get the sense of this very textured real life. You know, I'm schlepping this thing around. I got to go see my mom. I'm going to get a bunch of shit. I'm supposed to sit there and eat like nothing's different or wrong. And there's also no discussion of the vacuum. Like, there's no exposition of the vacuum cleaner. Like, no. there isn't any like, here, mom, I'm bringing you back the vacuum cleaner that I borrowed. Thanks for letting me borrow it. There isn't. No. There, there's. It's a bit of a MacGuffin. It's yeah, just kind of there. It's just there. It's it's so that we could see Peggy walking into the office carrying that, this fucking. That's, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you go. What the hell does she have that Hoover stuck <laughs> under her arm for? That ninety pound piece of machinery. 
And uh, and of course, it's her mom's, and she has to bring it back. She has to shake the bag out as well. They can't bring Too it back with a full much. bag. That would be inconsiderate. So <laughs> that's all happening. And but at the same time, you know, talks about how cute she is, and she's obviously doting over Peggy, who's the younger daughter, and gets all the attention, and you know, has from day one. So it's real. All I can say is these people are absolutely one hundred percent real. Flight One is ostensibly about, if it's about anything, this plane crash. And that was the flight number, of course, that went down. Flight One, American Airlines. And it plays out in all these different ways, which, again, Mad Men does so well. So you've got Pete's dad, first and foremost. And let's, let's, let's go over that. So, yeah, and so- then just, just as the two main plot points out of Flight One are Pete's dad and Mohawk Airlines, American Airlines. The and then of, for American, the, yeah. and then of course those two things come back together at the end. Right. Um, so let's take yeah, let's take Pete's dad first. So Pete finds out he gets a call at the office. Boom, your dad's dead. He's in shock. And what I always, you know, what always strikes me, and it did this time too, is where does he go first? He goes to Don. I think that means something, right? You've seen Pete utterly fixated on Don Draper from day one, from the pilot. Pete is fixated on Don Draper. He wants his approval. He's competitive with him. He says shitty things about him. He's tried to blackmail him. It's definitely a father figure. <laughs> and now what you what is clear as a bell is that he's a father figure. And and that just that wasn't clear as a bell before. It wasn't, you know, he, it, uh, it, yeah, he, you could you could have inferred it. But yeah, but, it wasn't. But it not, wasn't, not like this. Not, not like this. Not I mean, all. sure. That that was a that could be a that's a rolling theory. But now mm-hmm. it's just clear. And tell me what to do. And I have to say, like some of the, the Pete's dialogue was so moving to me. Oh. It, like what? Like the the what? What am I supposed to? I don't know what to do. I don't. I don't know how to adult. How do I adult? <laughs> right? right. And what what I also thought was interesting was Don Draper apparently does understand family he understands it on paper he understands he understands it on paper that's right (laughs) i'm not yeah but i mean but he doesn't he's missing some some wires yes the the wiring does not go in a full circuit there's no question but he does i mean he his answer was right his answer was you go home you be with your family work there's work and there's life our 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 postulation here has never been that don was raised by wolves but we have postulated that Don does not have the emotional wiring again to actually play these things out and live like live like a fully realized emotional human being. I mean, that's <laughs> that's part of the 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 problem with Don. Why did you write postulated? Because <laughs> I thought I was googling. I'm like, is that a fucking word? And then I was like, wait, I'm not Googling. Uh, is that it? You thought you were Googling inside no, a my Google Doc? I know it's a word. <laughs> you like, weren't sure it was a word? It seemed like it had too many syllables. All right, go Leave ahead. Leave this in, please. Don't edit this out. I want everyone to know. You have no fucking idea what the word postulate means. It's I know exactly what it means, but I'm like, is it's that the right word? It's a verb, and the past tense is postulated. <laughs> For fuck's sake. Anyway... Okay, we are recording at a different hour than we normally do, and, and it's just different. It's a we're different vibe. Stick to this hour, I no, think. we're okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I- so our right, our our theory about Don wasn't that he 
he can't get his work his way out of a paper bag. It's that he can't relate to certain situations and will never fail in real life when the shit is really coming down to say and do the wrong thing because that has been proven time and again already. Sure. On paper, and if he's talking about Pete and his family, go home. Be with your family. Yeah. Don't stay here. There's life and there's work and blah, blah, blah. And what's so funny, I mean, it was sort of funny in a poignant way, (laughs) was Don literally says, go be with your family. And Pete says, why? It was incredible. (laughs) It was an incredible moment. It was unbelievable. And it's, and it's, what's poignant about it to me is how honest it is from Pete. Yeah. Pete is guileless in this moment. Yes. In, in saying he himself does not feel or understand the need to be with his family. What am I going to do with them? <laughs> and then, frankly, we go. And, and yeah, we, when you get there, he wasn't we, wrong. We go, and, <laughs> we go and see Pete with the rest of his family. And we go, uh, you know what? He kind of had a point. Like, yeah. if I were him, I'd really wonder why I would be with these people at this time either. <laughs> we meet Bud and his uh, uh, his. His wife of a uh, few brain cells. <laughs> She's great, isn't she? And I thought she and Trudy had the same look. There was a certain similarity yeah. in the two but, wives. But right? Trudy was looking at her like, "Yeah, honey, what planet are you from?" <laughs> and we were wondering this too because it. I offer a nice bouquet of thoughts. He was so yeah. civic minded. <laughs> Such a great thing. <laughs> Which I'm, like, I've stolen. I've used that as a comp as a, as a. As an ambiguous compliment before. <laughs> and he's he so civic-minded. So that's civic-minded. great. Well, it's not a compliment. <laughs> and yet, I don't know that we care. Right? Like, you know. Was he now? <laughs> I mean, if somebody was like a former office holder or <laughs> former selectman for the county or something like that, and you called them civic-minded, then you go, oh, that's very nice. Thank you. But most of us are not that. And I don't think Pete's dad was like that. But Pete and Bud, Salt and Pepper, are <laughs> really great to watch. I mean, if, if a if a scene of tremendous mourning after a shocking, horrific, tragic death in a family can be like under the surface funny, this was it. Because and it's ha- had- I mean, it's. It's how people are. It's really like, how people are. It, it, it people... really is. From from the mom kind of being totally in shock with the elephant and take it. I want you to have. And she's like out of her mind. But you might be out of your mind. I mean, she's. It's a shock. And then you've got this weird family dynamic where everybody understands that <laughs> the father didn't like Pete as much. Like, how do you just yeah. go on with that? Like, that's right. okay. But there yeah. they are. Everybody's like, yeah, no, you're not getting money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, what happened to our money? Well, you weren't getting it, but uh, me, I'm out of, I'm out of ton of dough here. But yeah, so Pete and his brother, we get a, we get just a few seconds of dialogue with these guys, but it was all what he's, you know, whatever he says, it was all oysters and club memberships and yada yada, and and such a, you know, just a great vivid illustration of these of these two and the life, the lives they must have led growing up under this nutball of a dad and it was just really something you're meeting another family you're meeting another you're in another uh-huh. set there there was the the pristine uh gentileness of that <laughs> of that apartment a germ wouldn't last three seconds in a no, house exactly you know? yeah uh, they and they didn't even have plastic on the furniture right it was clean without plastic wasn't no. it yeah, yeah it, was it was just absolutely 
blemish free, yeah. um, character free. <laughs> it was just yeah. waspiness, just yeah, the waspiest of waspy uh, families there. But again, the more we see of Pete's family, we get to see Bud. But it's really that almost tragic, not tragic, but there's a a loss on top of the loss of like, <laughs> you know, does mom know? You want to tell her? Like, oh geez, these guys have to go down this road now right. with all this and Bud feeling it personally and Pete kind of you know shaking his head at the whole thing so and then the two wacky in-law daughters so judy and trudy uh, you know and it's also pete (laughs) you know pete pete wasn't getting money from his family up until now Mm -hmm. and he knew he wasn't getting money but there is a reality to oh this really is i i don't have a father now yeah it really i really and there's no money like this this is all up to me now life right, this right again i was all right. saying right this this yeah, really the, is the, the, the person i knew is gone and the image that i had of him is gone too yes which is is a major major thing to have to deal with and i really love the scene that with he and trudy at their apartment in their bedroom whatever it was the next day or something mm. perhaps of the kinds of things that you that go through your mind the last time we were arguing and dogs and the barbershop and this and that right and that that's you know I've I lost both my parents in the last six years or so. So mm. the, that's precisely the kinds of thinking that you have, right. uh, regardless of the situation. In my case, I, I knew my parents were, were going a long time before they went. Mm. So it's not as shocking as anything like we're seeing with Pete. But it's but there is this this sense of like we're on our own now. I I, I only knew the world with them in it. Right. In one form or another, and now that's not the world that I'm in today or for going yeah. forward. So that type of adjustment is is um, excruciating, and mm-hmm. I thought that's obviously something you don't see. That's not right. something that gets explored or examined on television at all. And here it is, and here it is. It's amazing. Yeah, and I went through what I. It was. It's interesting how you watch something like this and you find yourself in it. What I went through, losing a father, with whom. I had a very complicated relationship and it was like that, that thing of like, am am I supposed to cry? I don't feel, you know, like I lost a father who I I don't want to say, I don't want to say the harshest words I can say. So I won't, but like, you know, and, and, but you still are losing a father. So it's Mm -hmm. like, it's a very complicated set of feelings to navigate. Now, again, it wasn't, it wasn't sudden, like, you know, there was no plane crash, but, but I was, I was relating to that. Like, Oh, I didn't even like him and he wasn't kind to me. I'm using the kind of Pete vernacular now for for what he might have been feeling, right? So it's they really a lot got captured, a lot got explored yeah. with 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 just you know, the 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 regular dialogue of any other Mad show Men. on television would have had wailing and screaming or some sort of you know, very outward, outward expressions of grief. This is entirely inward for expressions. Or even, even if you aren't like, here's why I'm not crying because he didn't like me and da, 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 you know, explainy, right? Yeah, But, but exactly. none of that, none of that, just no. shit. I argued and it turns out he was right about the dog. <laughs> yeah, right. And here's how our mom used to talk to us about that or the, the language she used to describe our relationship. You just, yeah. it's incredibly rich. and. um Again, no TV show ever, ever, ever. I don't, I don't 
care if I've never seen every TV show out there. There's no way. <laughs> well, other you're going sh- to have to before next time. Other wanna- shows are, are talking about it this way. So let's take a, a break. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we'll come back from that break. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, brevity is the soul of something. <laughs> All right. So in addition to Pete's personal story about Flight One, uh, in a great, a great piece on this. And again, again, you go back to when Duck was first introduced and they all knew that he brought American Airlines to Bogleby. I forget whatever agency he was here with the plane crash. You get this opportunity that that duck spots right uh he's gonna bring in oh shit what's his shell shell Keneally? is that, is that yes, yes 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 such a, that's a great fucking name that's an awesome name uh speaking of irish people shell Keneally, <laughs> um is the guy i guess who you know hands out the american business and when the plane goes down and they're obviously they've got Mohawk Airlines, that's the airline at the agency in Mohawk. I think that was a real regional airline, right? That that's a legit... I don't know. I don't know that. They, uh, I don't know. I'm going to say it was. Let's see. Wikipedia was a regional passenger airline operating mid-Atlantic region of the United States, mainly New York to Pennsylvania in the mid-40s until its acquisition by Allegheny Airlines in 1972. So there was absolutely a Mohawk Airlines regional carrier. Uh, yeah, okay. So that was I a did thing. Not, I, did not, I did not clock that as anything real, but I didn't, I didn't even – also, I didn't ask myself ever at any point. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, don't, I don't – I don't – I didn't care. I admit it. Okay. It would, um, I don't think that was a required thing to care about. Now, while we're at this uh, sort of pause in the narrative to have explored that, I do want to say I don't blame – Duck wasn't wrong in his aggressive – I mean, mm. listen, the first thing Don thought of was pull the ads. Like you're out you, – you are devoted to your job mm-hmm. and Don was – you know, his first thought in in the moments of, of, of hearing about this was work and so was yeah. ducks. So I don't blame Duck Every for that. For that airline was doing the same thing. But I really do have a problem with how they did this. And I don't I know about the advertising business now. I don't know about it then. I don't understand the fire what you know, I don't understand the, that the preemptively firing a client. That sounds like crap to me. There was two things. First is that had to have been completely made up. The second is uh, Roger makes a comment about we're going to be in the New York Times with our name listed as a player for as a candidate for the American business. And that that alone is like a halo hmm. that is worth, you know, that that has currency of some kind. Now, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if there was ever a point where official finalists or candidates for a new piece of business were publicly discussed where the entire industry know I mean there's always scuttlebutt and and grapevine that you know who's pitching what business but I, I am I am virtually certain that you did not there was no obligation if you were going from you know from Dotson to uh, Ford, that you were going to quit Dotson business before pitching Ford. No, and in fact, what you do, and I don't know when this started happening, 
But in fact, what you do is you start a new agency. You you split off. That is exactly what you do. If you have if you have you, in, in order to not have com- competition under your roof, you you start a new agency. Ogilvy has done that many many times. I've worked for I yeah. worked for those no, other companies. So, they're they're always creating new new agencies for yeah. sure. To for the exact purpose of accommodating competition. You can't have two airlines under one roof. You start a new agency yeah. or you start a airlines only agency. There's all different ways to slice right. it, but that's exactly right. what, right. what happens. Or we're pitching the social media business so we can have a social media agency with that's a competitor right. to the main agency, right? Right. Um, and yeah, I don't know that that was really in fashion back then. Yeah, the I, don't know when it's, being, I don't know when that if started. If we have Mohawk, a regional airline, we cannot have American. We cannot national. pitch. It isn't that we cannot have. It's that we cannot pitch. I think in the storyline, you cannot pitch. That right. we're saying is nonsense. They could have kept Mohawk just exactly. fine. And if Mohawk says, you know, you know, hey, we heard you're pitching that American business. What's up with that? You got to go, hey, we, wh- wh- the, the billings are 10. What are we not in business to make money? Like, you know, hey, it didn't work out, but we're happy to work with you. We're, we're great friends. We're going to continue to do great work. There's no obligation on either side to throw yourselves on the sword. Which is what they did, and that is, yeah, I don't, I don't buy that for a second. Well, no, that now I'm thinking insane. through what you just said. I, I hadn't really kind of retrofit it. So what happens is, if you're pitching American and Mohawk finds out you're pitching American, and that they're about to be the jilted lover, maybe this is the way to do it. But that wasn't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but you know what? If you're, Mohawk, it's all terrible. If you're Mohawk and you find out your agency is pitching another regional carrier, then you tell them to go fuck off. But if it's American, you go, yeah, I hope they don't get it. I don't want to go look for another agency. I really right. love these guys. Right. No one's confused about how it all works, right? And if you're Mohawk, you're losing agency business to American or to Pan Am or something. Uh, left and right. That's the nature of being a regional. You're hoping to get bought by one of these guys. In which case, guess what happens to that agency you have? They're going to be gone too. So right. everybody knows how this works. This struck me as oh, it's nonsense, fictional, and not to- how it works. Totally. I don't know, but I thought that line. I, it feels to me like that line from Roger about being in the New York Times was almost like a fig leaf of justification to to make it seem like oh, we had to to ditch the business because they would have found out anyway. Nonsense. No way. Not not true. You know, they did have consultants on the show. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe maybe I just we're find wrong. It hard to believe that that's how it works. It was a really interesting – it was really interesting to watch. It was really interesting. Don – Yeah, once you suspend disbelief, it's great. Uh, it was fascinating to see Don be so loyal and we've talked about this before. I'm going to use the word again. It fucks you up every time. Integrity. Integrity. There was a real integrity that Don Draper was bringing yeah. that nobody else was bringing. They were so callous. Not one of them so gave Don's a fuck. The, Don's the voice of what we're saying. Which is, oh, I'm going to, oh, we're going to do anything for a foothold. You know, like, that's not enough. That's not enough for us to, they pay their bills. They do, they're good clients or good people. Why would, Now, again, if the business is landed without having to sacrifice Mohawk, and now it's American landed. versus, yeah, I get it. See what I did? <laughs> um, if they get the business without having to ditch Mohawk, and now they have to, now they have to cut them loose. Don would be the first in line to be like, <laughs> "Of course, <laughs> this is this is the way the world works." But it leads us to you know this great scene with Don, Don having to call this guy to to drinks or whatever at this Japanese joint, and uh, 
That was a great scene. He gets his ass handed to him. We get to meet Shel Keneally. That's the other. <laughs> and then we have the American Airlines meet, meet and greet or whatever, where, where, where Pete comes in. This is dark. It's set up with um, Duck inviting Pete into his office to talk about the incident and the death of his father. And it's super awkward. And Duck mm. is trying to kind of be... He's trying to be the dad figure. Was it in his office? I thought he came into Pete's office. Could be. It starts off sounding really genuine, and it, and I felt it. I felt the like, oh, he's being like a good. Yeah. And then it and then it was like zoop, zoop, really really fast. Went off the into, tracks. Into the ugliest one of the ugliest asks. Certainly the ugliest ask we've seen. <laughs> right. My my shoelaces were tied together. I didn't realize that I'm lying here on my ass. But now I have to ask you to do something horribly personal and uncomfortable after I've fallen over my Sorry, feet. your dad died. <laughs> my, <laughs> no reason we, we can't get rich off of this. <laughs> yeah. Mind if we exploit your pain, which clearly you're not dealing with very well because you're, you're not even telling si- people. <laughs> I know you're still sitting Shiva for your father, but you know I've got this 20% I need to deliver for this firm. <laughs> Jesus fuck. It's weird because Pete goes to Don for the father figure. Don gives him appropriate advice. And like we say, it's poignant and it's a little awkward and it's a little weird and it's very revealing about both of them. Um, but it's very But nobody cohe- asked for a hug. Like it was <laughs> – yeah, that would have been Right. Nothing overboard. But it was, it was cohesive. That scene had a certain tightness to it, even with all the, the weird, strained dialogue and – Pete not knowing why you need to be with your family when your dad dies. Um, Duck comes in, you know, is offering Pete all the support and acknowledgement that he craves. Don't think, don't think we don't notice. Don't think I don't know how great you are. You're doing awesome. You're, you're up there. You're, you're rising star with the firm and is doing all these things that puffs Pete up and it would puff anybody up. Frankly, it's real genuine praise from a senior member of the team and he it's and nonetheless falls flat on his face cannot really connect with pete somehow through all of this is making this awkward ask and it's weird because that really should have been the tack that was successful and i guess in a way it was because pete ultimately does does show up but Right, but but it's so it's one of these domino things because what happens? Yeah, is very much so. It's exactly he, right. He says no. He turns him down. He actually, which was I thought also interesting, where he's now starting to transition from I don't know what I'm supposed to do and what I'm supposed to yeah, feel so to this doesn't feel this right. Feels yeah. wrong. Right. Yeah, and even and especially in light of which was especially powerful in light of how good Duck just made him feel. That's right. Right. That, 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 that's what I'm saying. It should have it should have worked like a charm. Right. But but Pete's Pete ha- coming into his own body a little bit, I Pete, think. Pete had a, a grown up human emotion yes. in that moment. And an accurate instinct. That was and then, uh, that he acted and then on. He, and then he goes to, to – but he's feeling he all fucked validation. up. He wants, he wants validation. validation. He tries to get it from his wife. Right. He starts – he asks Heldy to place a call to his to Trudy and then never mind. And then he kind of looks at Peggy. Um, and then, and then he goes to Don's office and, he, and, and Don off. totally separately having nothing to do with Pete Campbell, actually pissed off for the same reasons. Lois is frustrating him, but also cause, cause he's now been asked to cut Mohawk loose and he's furious. Mm-hmm. Pete That's walks right. in Don back to 
insensitive Don for getting, you know, vulnerable Pete yeah. or not giving a shit or whatever. It's just like, go away. Not, not now. Yeah. And Pete, that is likely, I mean, we don't, again, one of these madmen things, we don't see it happen. The next thing we, we don't hear or we don't hear about it again until Pete shows up. Yeah. Pimp, pimped out for that, for that moment. Truly. And, and, but that's the, do- that was the domino. Correct. 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 And it's, again, you know, what happens in a previous scene affects what happens in the next scene. These characters carry it with them. People get in act, bad moods. Act like human beings, strangely yep. enough. Um, so, yeah. So it, it, it does actually lead Pete back, Pete back to uh, Duck's um, warm embrace and the, um, and the, uh, the duck's the lair. <laughs> cigar smoke and brandy snifters of the university club. Yeah. Um, the soft hands of Shell Keneally, I'm sure. And I think Shell is is um is moved by Pete's, you know, declaration that it's it's personal to him and, and so on and so forth. But so it, it is a, it is a horrifying it is a horrifying thing to hear Pete for as a viewer to watch Pete Campbell open his mouth and say, matter of fact potential client yeah. my dad you know just died on, on your flight. fucking plane <laughs> yeah okay um and i haven't signed that waiver that says i'm not going to sue you yet um just amazing it, it is and i always you know it's interesting when i first saw the episode back in whatever that was we said 2008 it is a it is a little bit of a Pete coming of age story, you know, in an mm. in a weird sort of backward madman yeah. universe. Yeah. It's yeah. Pete coming of age, and that's what I took from the title, Flight One. Oh, this what? is my first flight. Same. same. Oh, this is Pete flying his, his wings. duck wings. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> flying his his uh, getting getting airborne. Um, now, whether that holds any water, <laughs> I don't know. That one's funny. So yeah, so that was always my little. My no, little, that's uh, really that's really good one, Dan. Yeah, there you go, Pete Campbell, flight one. All right, all right. We need to talk about before we go to quotes. Betty Draper, hmm. Bobby Draper, mm-hmm. Sally Draper, the bartender. It's very mommy dearest. Wasn't there a mommy dearest <laughs> scene where Christina like, Christina is making like a Tom Collins sure. or drinks? Yeah, that sounds right. right. That sounds exactly right. That's and what it's I, you know, there's it was definitely very period that that thing for the for the wasps. Yeah, I, mean, I never I, I never that, mixed a drink. <laughs> no, I never did either. But I was always kind of fascinated with that that thing because even mommy dearest, I was a little boy when I first saw that movie, and. um that, I was about twelve what, when I read it, and that Ooh. was that's what that's what I took from that movie. Most people took other things, but sure. I took. Well, she made most drinks people took for the wire hangers and rose garden. You and you took yeah. Tom Collins. That's just okay. yeah, what stuck with me. Um, but yeah, no, th- th- that whole idea of of making the drinks for the parents th- th- that always has seriously it's always struck me as like a. Yeah, that would never happen now. That's wildly inappropriate. Even in yeah. you know, by the time the eighties rolled around, I think people knew. Absolutely. You know what? I'll make my own drink. I don't need to employ my kids in in whatever vice I'm going to partake in. But the whole the whole thing. So now we've got Francine and Carlton 
Francine looking, you know, and, and I love how, uh, you know, for, for game night or card night, whatever. Right. Yeah. And, and so there's a few things, there's a, a few things that I know that I got from, from the sequence. Um, one is you've got, you've got this, again, this real cuteness between Don and Betty mm-hmm. when, when Betty's really good, <laughs> like a bit of a card shark yeah, and right. he, you know, some, That's some right. real camaraderie there, right. Some That's real right. partnership. Um, you've got, you know, the dynamic with, with Don and Carlton, Carlton, Don clearly uh, does not like Carlton um, right, right. at all. And he's not, you know, he's Carlton is a, seems like a terrible human being. Less cad, we might say. Well, worse than a cat. He's talking about the babysitter. Mm-hmm. And we also know he's, he's, ha- he's violent with Francine or he's been violent with, he's terrible. Carlton is terrible. What was the, what's the evidence for the violence? Am I making that up? That I think Francine has said like, Oh, Carl Carlton would punch me for that or something. I think she has said something. So I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Carlton's above his fighting weight in this particular that, scene. That is correct. Right. Um, He's got the fat suit this season. But I love how they all get so dressed up. I just, I was thinking about, look, if I had a game, if, 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 if today a couple had a game night with another couple, it wouldn't look like that, right? The, the tie and the, the jacket and absolutely. And the women and all their, you know, oh, Francine and, and oh, she's just so great. Well, it's better homes but, and gardens. Like you got to look, it's what it's, what's in there. A picture out of better homes and gardens magazine. That's from Little Shop of Horrors, and it's uh, somewhere that's green. All right. And I have sung it hundreds of times. Um, <laughs> two two sort of more important things that happened. One is uh, this whole thing with Bobby being a liar. And we do not know at this moment if Bobby is a liar. But what we do know is that Betty sees him as a little Don Draper and is not pleased with it <laughs> and is projecting a little onto, maybe projecting onto a little yeah. onto the boy. This one is one of the very cute Bobby Drapers and yeah. he was This was a uh, good Bobby. No, not not from only only from our perspective. He was the one that didn't that Well don't was, blink, he'll be gone. So he he was yeah. he was apparently a bit of a a bit of a nightmare behind the scenes. Um or maybe there was some issue with his parents. Something. I don't remember what I heard. Well, um, fuck him and fuck his parents because exactly. we don't need him if he's going to be there. Um, no, we can, we, can, we can bobby right in anytime we want. But no, so we've got that. And then the other thing was Don saying to Betty, I'm not going to fight with you. That's right. And again, we are filling in the gaps between in Thanksgiving 1960 without Don and Betty on the horse. In, in 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 February of, of 1962. And seems like there have been a lot of fights. Uh, I think yeah. Betty... Something's gotten them to this point. And it's, yeah. a, it's a bit of a eye of the hurricane, calm before or after the storm. We don't know. But, but there have been fights. There's, yeah. I'm not going to... It was... It, I don't think he used the word again, but it clearly mm. was laden with, we're yeah. not... I'm not doing this with you again. Yeah. Right. And it all ties into the cardigan and the, the good boy Don kind of look at things. And even the, even the conversation with Carlton, who he does not respect. But I, I always thought he didn't respect Carlton because <laughs> in, Don's weird, in Don's weird way. Yeah. How, how are you so dumb to get your, get yourself caught? You're ruining it for the rest of us. You're being indiscreet. I'm discreet. 
and you're you're a dope. I think Carlton was part of what Don didn't. Lo- I think Carlton. Uh, go back to Marriage of Figaro. I think Don does not like Carlton. I no. think Carlton is. I think Carlton is, is a scumbag, and Don Don doesn't like scumbags. Yeah, and and so player knows a player. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, uh, he spots him from a mile away, and definitely, you know, kind of has no use for him now. We we mentioned earlier that Carlton has the fat suit this season. I hope they dry cleaned it between, <laughs> between when Peggy, last season when and Peggy this shed season. it. Yeah, I mean Peggy trimmed off some of the outside and put it on the up in the vertical. <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm sure they had to go back to costuming, but I'm I, so not a fan of fat suits as a. <laughs> premise i'm listening to a new podcast about about like fat suits about fat and health and it it really brand new it just dropped and uh i can't Mm -hmm. think of the name of it so i'll maybe i'll put it in show notes if i and then finally and then finally in this episode the final scene is peggy at mass with her mother and her sister Mm -hmm. so she succumbed she that she yeah, was to it we was, don't we don't know like was no, it total was, guilt was it to shut up her arm, mother arm is was, there anything there for her arm was twisted hard behind her back but once again we see this baby uh tbd who's yeah. the mother right yeah. whose kid is this um peggy not looking at her most maternal but but peggy definitely uncomfortable does not want to touch this baby she is Deeply. Not take, Peggy not taking communion with the rest of the family. Sure. Well, no, that's that, I mean, I'm just bad. I'm just bad at Catholic. I think our <laughs> yeah, our listeners don't, will not confuse us with two devout Catholics. You take communion when you've done confession. Oh, and if you haven't, confessed, I'm really bad. I'm really bad at Catholic. If you've committed sin since your last confession, you cannot take communion. Got it. So Peggy sitting there while everyone goes up to take communion is another another signifier that she is a out of step with the rest of her family b not practicing as often as she she probably would or should or would ordinarily be doing so if she were living at home so this is like a little a little sign that she's away from the away from the nest in more ways than one so uh yeah and then of course she has to hold the baby while she's not taking communion right <laughs> right top it all off you and it's just you're just really looking at a young woman who is just deeply fucked up by what what you know whether this baby is hers or not we don't know but she yeah. is she has given up a baby and been through that and gotten herself back to working and functioning and there is a price at this point we still don't know did the baby survive the baby could have been premature it could have been underweight it could have been anything we don't know a thing about the health right. or lack thereof at this point of any baby of Peggy's. We just saw that she was she was not showing enough that she could she sufficiently got away with people not knowing she was pregnant, including herself. Right. Um, but what we do know uh, as of 1962 is that is behind her, and that at least at work it's behind her for sure. And but this is where we see these scenes with this with her family and this child whoever this child is, is you, we see that it's not behind her emotionally. Well, as far as her family's concerned, certainly not. And, and no, I mean her, I mean, that is a girl who is, 
who can barely hold a kid. She's yeah, she's trying to suppress every right. anything to do with with children or babies for sure. But my, my larger point is that Peggy has clearly made a very conscious decision that my work is the number one thing in my life. I will sacrifice anything to focus on my work because it's just what's most important, getting good at it, getting better, succeeding, and my career. At her mother's house, somebody says something about somebody's skin and Peggy right away, she goes, clear a cell. And I'm like, that's yeah. because she's all work all the time. Yeah, it's at, it was at the kitchen table, she says it. Yep. You know, that's, again, we're going to eventually, hopefully, we're going to find out about that fucking kid. That's right. That she had. All right. <laughs> well put. <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, let's take a quick break and we will come back with quotes. What's your quote, Dan? I love that. So uh, this Hank Wolford, Henry Wolford, they call him Hank. Um, In college, they called him Woof. Did they, the Woofer? The Woofman. Woofman Jack. Yeah. <laughs> um, they also, did they also talk about him being like in the war and being like a, uh, a big drinker in the war when they talk about going out with him? Is it this episode or maybe the previous I one? I don't. I don't. You know what? That's There's... the kind of conversation I tune out on. I don't know. <laughs> when you get into like their drinking war, uh-huh. I don't know. But I knew they called him Wolf. I made that up. Okay. Don has to go to him. And, and there's this whole little dance where Hank knows that he's going there to get fired by the agency, right? It's all – speaking of performative, by the mm. way, it's all played out. And he knows obviously that they're going after American at this point, I suppose. And uh, – I'm going to make you say it, he says. So this wonderful kind of wind oh, so up. so I'm going to make you say so, it. Oof. Um, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and that, this place reminds me of Pearl Harbor. I mean, it's really, <laughs> it's just a great, they really just milk every drop out of this thing. But yeah, he he he, the, the, he lands the punch with Don and he, by saying, um, after Don does the deed, and he says, I'm almost embarrassed to say this. You fooled me. Great mm. line. Great line. Really powerful, actually. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, you know, Roberta, now you. <laughs> I thought you were waiting for a cue. <laughs> Dan, hurry up. Pregnant um, pause. Dan, uh, in, in the lead up to the same scene, uh, when you know, along the same plot line, is Don Draper says, "What kind of company are we going to be?" Um, and I've got Roger's response. Roger's response is response is the kind where everyone has a summer house, which yeah. is a perfect <laughs> Roger answer. And mm-hmm. but to me, the line is, "What kind of company are we going to be?" To me, that is that's what's important to Don. Mm-hmm. There, there is an integrity there. There is an ethic there. It's also it's a way of framing, you know, you've heard it a lot in these last few years. What kind of country are we? What mm. kind of country do we want to be? It's, it's a way that I have framed things for myself in my life as a way to live into something, as a way to create 
wait a second, as, as a reality check and then as a, what do we want? And this was a, this was a, a, a sadder, this was the sadder side of that because he lost on this one, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I mean, he got his answer. Yeah. He, got, he literally got his answer, the kind where everyone has a summer house. Um, and it wasn't the answer that he wants. And I just, I found, I, it's a, it, to me, it's a beautiful line. What kind, what kind of company are we going to be, even though it, it didn't end up so beautiful? Wrong answer. <laughs> yeah. It didn't, uh, it didn't inspire the masses. Well, we'll it see it how inspired the pitch, me. We'll see how the pitch goes. Right, but that. we're already the company who fired Mohawk. That's right. That's, it, it, that's done. Exactly. That's, right. We already. That's what I mean. That's what I mean by we got our answer. We, we truly, truly. We and, already and, showed who we are. And what's what's so interesting though is, you know, when Duck and Don have that, have it out in 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 um, Cooper's office, and they're going over this. Don's stating the case for loyalty, and it is a certain kind of integrity for sure, no question. And it is Don, really being in the right as far as how to handle it. Uh, and Duck says, look, I know how you thought it would go, right? They'd see an ad and go, get me that guy. And, you know, if the shoe were on the other foot, mm. you'd be you'd be screaming to do the other thing. And Duck's not wrong about that either, right? It, the thing about Don's integrity is that it happens to coincide with his personal interest. If, there yeah. were, if the shoe were on the other foot, if Don had the in with American or if, you know, well, we would see. I'm not saying Don has no integrity in these situations. I'm saying that it it played out in that his integrity coincided with his where he stands on his feud with Duck. <laughs> right, right. The duck uh, right. Feed, so if it's, you will. it's worth it's worth saying. I don't know that he would have taken 180 degrees the opposite, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Duck calls him out in appropriately so. Yeah, no, that's fair. That is fair. Something I wanted to say in general about this episode is even though there was a lot there and we went through all that, we still are in the, you know, these, the, 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 the wind up in the seasons, there's a, there's a slow, you're going up the roller coaster. Mm -hmm. It's a slow churn. I mean, a lot happened, but there's a, there's, there's, it's building tension. It's going up the roller coaster. Oh, this is sure. especially. And this is and this is yeah. So the next episode that the we The Benefactor, will... a great ep- a very underrated episode. Very underrated episode. We meet Jimmy Barrett. We, we do meet, meet Jimmy Jared. Barrett. Season 2 is is vastly underrated in my opinion. I think there's a ton of great stuff. Oh, it's a fast. Um, it, there's there's a lot. Throughout there's the a season lot coming. we're going to see some awesome 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 episodes uh as we go here so i'm looking forward to it and benefactors on deck so let's say goodbye everybody sounds good we'll see you next time thank you so much for listening adios if you're enjoying our show please give us a glowing review on apple podcasts and share the show on social media and if you're able to support us you can subscribe at patreon.com slash they coined it we've got some extra content there for you we love hearing from our listeners you can send your thoughts or questions to questions at tcimadmenpod.com or check in with us on twitter and instagram at tcimadmenpod we're just at the beginning we can't wait to discuss more madmen with you and continue bringing in special guests Thank you so much, and we'll see you on the next episode.